0: Hey gang, it's Katie, and I've got just a quick audio drop-in with some information for you. We are going to be recording episode 150 live. We weren't sure at the time we recorded this episode, but we are now. So here's the information that's going to be on Saturday, August 10th. We're going to record at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, and we'll be over at the 5x5 live stream at 5x5.tv slash live. You can listen live on the web. You can join us in the chat room, or if you're away from your computer, uh, you can grab the 5x5 app and participate that way. So uh, come join us and help celebrate show 150. And now back to your previously scheduled episode.
1: Mac Power Users, Episode 149, Reading It Later. Hey everybody, it's David Sparks along with Katie Floyd. Hi Katie Floyd.
0: Hi David Sparks.
1: That doesn't work that way. I'm just David.
0: Well, maybe my, I'll maybe I'll just start calling you Sparky cuz that's what I do when you're not here.
1: My my name just doesn't rocket like yours does. I call you. A lot of people call me Sparky. When I was a little kid, I lived in a house with 7 people cuz we had a big family and and grandparents and everything, and we had a dog named Sparky. So when people would wait a call. minute, you were
0: the Sparks family and you named your dog Sparky?
1: Well, there's a long story behind my sister's oh, husband named it and then we inherited the dog and blah blah blah. But so um people would call and they'd say, Hey, Sparky there and I'd say, Yeah, sure, do you want grandpa, me, blah, 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 or the dog.
0: And they said Just the dog, saying. right?
1: Just saying. Anyway, that. let's talk about read it later services. Uh this is a thing now.
0: I do. Can I make two quick announcements before we get there? Yeah. Okay, two quick announcements. Number one, the great RSS feed move is in progress as we speak and as this show posts. So, you know, we've been talking about it for the last month saying we were going to do it and we actually did it. I flipped the switch, I think it was like on, on July eleventh ish or something like that. So there's like a 30 day window where FeedBurner will per, will like I don't know how they do it, but anyway, they will permanently redirect the feed, but there's like a a wacky thirty day window where they do something and um so anyway, we're inside that thirty day period right now. So if you see wonkiness going on with your RSS feeds, probably the easiest thing to do is just unsubscribe and resubscribe. And the link to the feed is on the five by five page and the and the Mac Power users page. So there's that. And by the way, um show one fifty is next. It's probably too late to get your listener workflows in, but be on the lookout for notices about how we're gonna do that show. We might do it live. We haven't quite committed yet, so
1: why Why would we talk about moving the RSS feed at this point? Uh, if they uh, need to know, they don't get it. They're not getting the show.
0: I guess that's right? true. We're preaching to the choir.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Congratulations. congratulations. You made it. You're here. Yeah, you made it through. <laughs> you made it through the other side. They, they
0: might not uh, have because there's that 30-day walkie transition period, so it still could cut off after 30 days. So there you okay. go. Okay. All right. Read it later.
1: E- yes, ma'am. The um, Read It Later services. Uh, so what's the problem that they solve? And what's a brief history? And, and this really goes back to Marco Arment, who is a past guest of our show and, and someone who I really admire. He's done some really great work. He was, I think he was employee number two at Tumblr and uh, just a really bright fellow. So So Marco was working at Tumblr and working in New York, and he had this problem where he'd ride the subway and lose internet connection, and he wanted a way to cache websites so he could read them when he had no internet. And that's when he started this Instapaper service. And as far as I know, he's the, he's really the originator of this idea.
0: And he originally I, just did it for himself to solve his personal problem. And then I guess he told a couple of people about it and they kind of said, yeah, that's that's cool. I'd kind of like to have something like that for me too.
1: Yeah, and it started out as a website and it never made sense to me. I, underst- you know, I, w- I heard about it when it came out and I'm like, eh, you know, I'm not sure. And the idea would be if you had an article you wanted to read, You'd save it to this website and it would parse just the text out and, and just some pictures and it would get rid of all the other noise and you could go back and read it later uh, on the website. And that made some sense to me, but it made a ton more sense with the iPhone and when he made the Instapaper iPhone app. So Uh, I can save articles to this cache uh, that Instapaper holds for me of documents. And whenever I want, I could whip my iPhone out of my pocket and I could read through these articles that I had set aside to read later. And we're going to talk about how to do that during the show. But where it really hit its stride for me was with the iPad. I mean, as soon as the iPad was announced, that was one of the first thoughts that occurred to me is this will be the perfect Instapaper platform And indeed, Instapaper was the very first app I purchased for the iPad. I went and looked while we were getting ready for the show.
0: I I think it might have been one of, if not the, it was day one for me on the iPad.
1: Yeah, and it's just a wonderful experience to be able to open up the iPad and read at your leisure, you know, while you're sipping a martini and hanging out, you know, at the club uh, on your iPad. You do that, right?
0: I don't do that in particular. I I mean, I'm reading Instapaper, so I think you are contractually obligated to be drinking coffee while you're doing it.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't drink coffee, but that's another story. Okay. I think I'm the only geek that doesn't drink coffee. Um so so Marco created Instapaper and he created a, kind of a revolution in the way that we read the web. And so how do they work? I guess you want to talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, so here's, I mean, you talked a little bit about the problem that they solve, but basically what they do and the problem that they solve for everybody, other than just, you know, Marco's problem of wanting to read things on the website. But you go around throughout your day and you come across all of these things that you're interested in, but you don't necessarily have time to read that particular moment, whether it's links on Twitter or things that come out of your RSS feeds or just regular browsing. You're skimming an article and it's something that you're interested in, but you want to read it in more detail later. And then there's also all of the other noise that happens on the web. And, you know, maybe it's poor formatting of web pages or columns or advertisements or all of the other things like that. So what these services typically do, and we're going to talk about much more than Instapaper in in this podcast, by the way, but generally what these services do is they parse out, as you said, the text of of just the main article that you're looking at on this particular web page. Um, they save it, and sometimes they'll save it to a website component. Usually, they'll have accompanying apps, and so it's really distraction-free reading. They'll save it for reading later, and then with the accompanying apps or with the accompanying web service, you can then read that later. And they've all evolved over the years to have different features and different reasons to use one app over the other. You know, there's kind of been this this leapfrogging that's involved, but but typically, usually there's a there's some kind of text parser involved that will strip out all of the unimportant material and and just give you the guts of what you want. There's usually some kind of web component where you can view this information on the web. There's definitely a web backend. Uh, There's usually some kind of app. And then there's usually some kind of bookmarklet or plugin, some way that you get this information out of your browser um, onto the service.
1: Yeah, and and the workflow I think Katie and I both use is we make this part of our RSS workflow. So, and we did just did an RSS show. What number was that? Do you remember? Recently, it'll be it'll be in the show notes. But so you could t- have an RSS feed that that collects the big list of all the websites you're interested in, and in them, uh, you'll want to get an RSS reader that makes it very easy to save an article to that read it later service. So if I'm going through and I see an article that's that's of significant length. I don't have time to read at the moment, but I do want to read it later. I put it into my read it later service and then I can go back and read it, read it later. Well, I said that a lot, didn't I?
0: We're going to say read it later a lot in this podcast,
1: but you, you don't need to have RSS to make this work. If you're just on the web and you see something you like, or if your friend sends you a link. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to get the information into these services and again, we're going to ta- be talking about that. We wanted to give a little overview. There's also some controversy about these read it later services. Um, they strip out the ads, so mm.
0: and that's probably the biggest one because a lot of these websites that we normally go to, that's that's how they're supported. I mean, you're not paying to to read the content on some of our favorite websites like the unofficial Web, Apple Weblog or Mac Observer or or um, Mac World or any of these other websites. Many of them are are ad supported, and when you go through and some of these have some of these sites and I hate it when they do this but I understand why they do sometimes you'll have to click you'll get multiple page views and you'll have to click to multiple pages to go see page one of the story page two of the story page three of the story Um, and then they get multiple page views out of that And, and that's how they make their money that's how they pay their authors that's how they get their content but when you use one of these read it later services typically if you suck the link out of an rss feed or out of something like twitter you may never even visit the website so they may never get a page view from you Um, or they may not get as many page views as they normally would, or or you may not even visit the advertiser or really even see the website. So there's there's definitely some argument that you're taking money out of the the content creator's pockets using these services. And I I really don't want to harp on that, though.
1: No, me either. You just need to be aware of it. I was thinking about it this morning in terms of there's there's a couple of ways you get stuff into a read it later service. One is you go to the website, at which point you see the ads.
0: Right. You may not see all of them, though.
1: Okay. Depending on if you don't click through. And that's one way. And then the the other way is RSS. You don't see the ads when you do it through RSS anyway. We didn't talk about that at all during the RSS show.
0: Yeah. Well, here's another. I get a lot of my read it later content out of Twitter. Yeah. And then I never visit the website.
1: Yeah. Um, Another point is you don't really get the author's vision. Sometimes, you know, you have a website laid out in a certain way. I think – Gruber's Daring Fireball is kind of legendary for that. He's got He spent a lot of time on his layout and and people, you know, he I think he believes you should read it there. I, I don't know really what he thinks about it. I guess we'll have to get him on the show at some point. But the um um I don't care as an author, Max Barkey, I, I put the full feed of my website in RSS. So you don't ever have to go to the website. If you have RSS subscription, you get everything. And if you don't go to the website, that's OK with me. that's fine. But I'm not a big company running a big website, so I'm probably not the perfect person to have an opinion. Or I'm not probably the perfect person to answer that question. Right? I guess. Are you asleep over there? You I'm sound kind I'm of not tired. I'm
0: not asleep. I'm I'm just trying to avoid the controversy that's gonna come from this topic. So I'm I'm oh, really? silently sidestepping it. I just want you to be aware there's a controversy out there and then there, there, done said it.
1: Okay, but I still use read-it-later services, I so here we go. <laughs> hey, let's uh, talk about a sponsor.
0: Yes, let's start talk about a sponsor, and that is 1Password. And I've, I've been trying to talk a little bit, because I, I know 1Password's been a longtime sponsor of Mac Power users, and if you've been paying attention to us, hopefully you are using 1Password. So I want to talk a little bit about some power tips about maybe how you can use 1Password more effectively. You think that might be a good idea?
1: Yes, please bring it on.
0: All right. So a couple of ways that you can use one password more effectively. We all know that one password allows you to create unique, strong passwords for all of your websites. And I talked a little bit about in the last show where we did an ad spot for one password about how, you know, probably if you're initially starting to use one password, the first thing you're going to do is just kind of start using all of your current passwords and and just get them into one password. And, and that's fine. Just get, you got to get started somewhere. And then I talked about how you can use some of their features like, um, you know, folders and smart folders to to create segments where, you know, these are my most important passwords. These are the ones that I need to um, change more frequently. But they also have a couple of other features that, that let you really kind of gauge how good are your passwords. And this is especially important if you're still using one password with kind of a hybrid of passwords that you've created and a hybrid of passwords that it has created for you. So one of the things that I mentioned and I didn't really explain in the show is that 1Password has the ability to give you a little strength indicator on how strong the passwords are that you're using. Um, and someone tweeted me and said, um, Katie, are you sure you're not using a beta of a future version? Because I don't have that feature in my version of 1Password. And um, well, actually, no, I'm not. And and you do have that version in 1Password, but I don't think it's turned on by default. So if you go into 1Password and you go into the view menu, you've got all of these ways that you can sort your password. And if you, you can see that there's additional criteria that you can sort by. You can sort by dates. You can sort... Um, you know, by the site. But there's also a criteria in there that you can sort by password strength. So if you turn on that field in your view, it's just like if you turn on additional view field in the finder, you can now sort by password strength. And it'll even meter it by, you know, green being a good password, you know, red and short being not such a good password. And so that's another way that you can go through at a glance and see, okay, which passwords do I need to give my attention to? And which passwords do I, I need to go ahead and get and get updated sooner rather than later? So that's one thing that you can do with 1Password. The other thing that I suggest that you can do with 1Password is they have a great search field and I use this all the time because you know I'm looking for a specific password that I need logins for. And in the search field of 1Password, they have an option Uh, it's one of the more advanced drop-down menus where you can search by password. So if you know that you are the person that has used your pet's name as your password, and I am talking to you because I know you are out there and I know you do it, um, and you've used your, your pet's name and your date of birth as your password and all of those other things, what you can do is put your pet's name in the search field, and it will show you, if you search by password, all of the passwords that have your pet's name in it. And you can say, ooh, those probably aren't very strong passwords, and you can go change them. So... Pet's name, date of birth, those kinds of things. Those are not good passwords. So just start searching for those types of things and see where you need to change them.
1: Yeah, and they make it really easy to go find them. Then you go to the website, you update it with a, a good password. And then that automatically populates through your syncing to your iPhone, your iPad, your other devices, which shall be uh, remain unnamed.
0: <laughs> there you go. Like
1: PC computers, Android devices. They got you covered.
0: Yeah. And 1Password version 4 is coming soon. So, go ahead and pick up 1Password version 3 in the Mac App Store and you will get a free upgrade to version 4 when it comes out in the very near future and believe me, you're going to want that. But go ahead and start getting used to it and start using it and get your info in there now. So, you can find more information about 1Password over at OnePassword.com and thanks to them for supporting the show.
1: 1Password, great sponsor. Great yeah. product. Okay, major services. Major services. We've got a couple now.
0: These are the big three, I think. Yeah, there are others, yeah. and we'll we'll talk about some of the other ones later. But let's 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 start with the big three.
1: So I think we start with the originator Instapaper. Yeah,
0: and this is the one that you and I have both primarily used for a long time. Although we've both tried, and, you, and I think you currently are using another service. So, but let's let's start with Instapaper, and and we both started with this one, and and why?
1: Yeah, well, Marco uh, loyalty to Marco is part That's, of it. I mean, how often do you of know? How often do you know a guy who makes something that you love and use every day? So there's a lot of loyalty there. I I mean, I was at one point he started asking for, I think it's a dollar a month subscription, and he didn't even have any extra features for that. But I paid it gladly because I just use this. You know, this is a very essential thing for me. I use Instapaper all the time. I read legal articles in it and and Mac articles and just, you know, anything. So I really love it. And, and he's smart and innovative. And frankly, the, the application was always the best because Marco was coming up with some really great ideas. Like he had this great idea on the phone where you could tilt it and it would automatically scroll reading speed, which sounds goofy, it sounded goofy to me. But then when I used it, I found it really great. Um, I think he kind of led the charge with typography and layout. Um, he's got like multiple fonts in there. Um, he put Kindle sharing in, I don't have a Kindle, so it doesn't matter to me, but for Kindle people, that's a big deal. He set up the management with the folder. So he just, I thought it was a very innovative program and, and he would write these long blog posts about how he would sweat all these details. And I, you know, I was just a fan. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. And one of the, that was one of the, well, I originally started using it because it was the first and the best for a long time of all the services out there. And I have continued to use it throughout the years um, because he's just updated it, and the versions have continued to get better and better. I use a lot of the sharing features within Instapaper because I, I think, as we talked about in my in our and I think in our shared workflows, things that kind of catch our interest and things that we co- want to come back to get sent to Instapaper, and and that's the repository where they sit. And when we get to them in Instapaper, we may then find that other actions need to be taken from them. So for example, a lot of time I'll read articles that will ultimately be things that we I know that we're going to do shows on in the future. And so I'll want to send those articles off to kind of long-term storage. And for a long time, I had a folder set up in Instapaper just for Mac Power users research. And what I have since started doing is I've, I've now I tend to use Evernote for things like that. And maybe we should have a shared Evernote notebook for things like that. um, and you know what?
1: I just sent you one yesterday. Did you get it? You did you send it? me a
0: shared notebook for show 150. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm just, you weren't a big Evernote person. I was so proud when I got that Evernote shared invite from David Sparks. I My heart skipped a beat a little bit.
1: Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're easily impressed, Katie Floyd.
0: I am. So now um, Evernote's or uh, Instapaper's got, you know, shared Evernote features. So if I've got something on for a show that we're working on, I'm reading an article, I will send it off to Evernote and make sure that it gets put in our my, maybe soon to be our, you know, Mac Power Users Research Folder. Um, A lot of times I'll be coming across an article that will lead to an action. And I do this all the time over with Federico's stuff because he'll be coming up with these really interesting scripts and things that I want to check out or I want to implement. And so I've read it, that's cool, but now I need to implement it or it's something that I want to implement in my own workflow. Well, that's no longer something to read, that now becomes a task. So I'll send it off to to OmniFocus. And then sometimes if I just want to share it, if it's something interesting, I'll Twitter or, or Facebook it out. And th- those features are pretty standard across all the services.
1: Yeah, all those sharing services um, are standard across the three that we're going to talk about, Instapaper, Pocket, and Readability. And I think that's kind of the entry-level stuff. You have to have those features. And it's not just OmniFocus. They support uh, sending it to things and some of the other task management services. It's, it's There's like a a laundry list of places you can send data from these various services. But once again, I believe Instapaper was one of the first to kind of jump on that and, and get those things. Another thing Instapaper does that I think is really cool is what they call dark mode. And it's, it's dependent on when the sun sets, wherever you're located at and the That's screen so will be cool. dark in the evening. I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, it's just, it's really clever. And uh, the geolocation update thing, I, I think Marco wasn't the first to do this. But he was the first to do it in a read it later service where when you walk away from standard geolocation places like your home or your office, Evernote – I'm sorry, Instapaper will automatically update its article list in the background. So the next time you open it, it's just ready.
0: Yeah, that's let, let's be- talk about that for a minute because that's, that's something that's clever. Because here's the thing that you want is you you want – what you want is when you – let, let's say when you arrive at work or when you arrive at home – you just want your Instapaper queue to be updated because normally what you have to do is is you open Instapaper and the first thing it does is it is it queries the Instapaper servers and it says what has David marked to read later downloading 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 and depending on how many things you've marked it may take anywhere from a couple of seconds to a minute or two to download all of that stuff and in a perfect world what you want is you would just want as soon as you open Instapaper all of that stuff to be available to read because once it's downloaded you no longer have to have internet access. So this is one of the things that I always do. In fact, maybe I should add our airport as a geolocation service. I'm I'm going to be there, so I should probably do that. Um, you just want all of that stuff to automatically download. And I always do this right before I get on a plane or go on a trip because I want to have stuff to read when I don't have access to Wi-Fi. And so Marco was trying to figure out how do I solve this problem? Because Um, Apple so far has had pretty limited background services. You could run something in the background for maybe 10 minutes, or maybe you could do something by a push notification. And I think this is getting better in iOS 7. This is something I've heard him talk about on his podcast. But the way that that he's done it is he's done it based on some geolocation, and he's done it in a smart way where it's not going to drain your battery life, where you set up certain areas so maybe your office is an area and maybe your home is an area. So when you, if you're, you know, geo, if you're insta papering things all day at the office and your iPad's in your briefcase, when you come home within that geofence range, it will automatically update. So by the time you take your iPad out of your briefcase, it'll be updated. Did I explain that
1: well? Yeah, yeah. you did. That's going to be less of an issue with iOS 7, which is going to give apps the ability to download stuff in the background. Uh, But in the meantime, this is just an example of something that is innovative about instapaper that these other companies which are bigger companies i think it's harder for them to be that agile um one one mention you made and i think we should just say it now before it slips my peanut like brain is the idea of downloading before you get on a plane uh there's a couple things you do places you go where you know you're going to lose internet connection a plane is one of them if you do public transit every day that may be another where you want to make sure you open these apps before you get started and make sure it all downloads. In fact, I've got like a, a whole thing I do before I get on a plane. I open Instapaper and I let it run through its its process. I open Mail and in Apple Mail on the iPad and iPhone, you actually have to open the individual mailboxes because I have some auto sorting and some server side rule stuff that's sending stuff to places. So you got to kind of tap through your main mailboxes that you plan to deal with. Uh, what else do I do? I open up, uh, OmniFocus and let it do a last sync. So if I want to fiddle in OmniFocus while I'm gone out of the, uh, out of the internet space. And sometimes if I'm going to be writing, I open up whatever app I'm doing the writing and to make sure it's fully synced. Do you have like a, a process like that too, Katie Floyd?
0: Um, yeah, I guess I do. It's just kind of instinctive at this point.
1: Yeah. You want to get all that stuff done because once you get on the plane, you're out of luck. Um, And yeah, now I
0: just buy wifi on planes.
1: Do you, I, you know, I I really get so much work done on planes without Wi Fi that I'm hesitant to try and log into it. Uh, Okay. Um, So there's Instapaper and Instapaper. I think the biggest selling point is, is interesting, innovative little features, which the other apps don't pick up. I think it is better type, better typography in my opinion of everything I've used. I think it's generally, it looks the best.
0: Yeah. I do want to add one one little thing to Instapaper, just because we'll come back to it later. And that is, you mentioned they offered a subscription service. You do get some interesting things with the subscription. It's a, it's a buck a month, and I, I just kind of did it out of karma. But the one thing that you do get that is pretty important, because we'll talk about other applications that access these services later, is when you pay that subscription, you allow access to third-party APIs. Or you allow third parties, I guess, access to the Instapaper API, or I may have said that backwards. And that's going to be important later in the show when we start talking about all of these other applications that you can use to grab that data to do other things. So just store that in the back of your mind, and we'll come back to it a little bit later.
1: Yeah. So then after Instapaper, there was a service called Read It Later. And that just
0: confused everybody.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then they, they switched it to Pocket. And, you know, these were a me too, it was a me too service. And I, you know, I had nothing but disdain for somebody that would do a me too service after my friend Marco's service. But you know what? I I started looking at Pocket because a bunch of friends I had, geek friends that I respect, I kept seeing it on their phones and iPads. And I said, well, I guess I need to check this out. So I've been using it for about six weeks now. And it was really started out as an experiment. And I'm not sure where I'm going to end up even now, there's a couple things I really like about Pocket that aren't in on Instapaper and there's a couple things I really like about Instapaper that aren't in Pocket. So but it's a, it's an alternative service. It's a it's a free service. I think it's one of these startups and it's got you know in fact that's one of the downsides of it is you're not paying anything for it so I'm not really sure how they're making money except for the fact they're trying to collect a bunch of subscribers and at some point they're gonna get acquired or sold or do advertising or collect data on me or do something that's not going to make me happy. but other than but putting that aside um, it, it is a good service so the way pocket works uh, it's definitely more colorful and I think the layout's a little nicer. Um, They have a dedicated Mac app, which Instapaper doesn't have, which is kind of nice. So you can open up the the app on the Mac, um, whereas, you know, Instapaper, you have to access it on the web, which you can also do with Pocket. Um, It has an attractive layout and it has instead of a folder system for organizing um, this stuff, it has a tagging system. And in my experience, these tags work better than folders because it's very easy to apply the tags and you can apply multiple tags. So I can see something that may fit both into uh, something I want to save for a future post at Mac Sparky, but also something I want to talk to Katie about, about a future Mac Power Users episode, I can apply two different tags, which is which is nice. Um, the sharing on it is, in my experience, a little easier than it is on Instant Paper because it remembers the most recent things you've shared to, like if I've been sharing a lot to Evernote, Evernote's going to show up first on my list. It even remembers people that I share articles to, because m- my wife and I are always sending each other articles, you know, and isn't that geeky now that I think about it? No. Um, but in, so, so I get a little icon with her face on it. It says email to Daisy and, and I can very easily, you know, it it's just really super easy. And it, it's not like I set that up as a custom sharing it just remembers or seeing me do it. So it just adds it in there. Um, the thing though, that really brings pocket, the, the reason I'm really tempted to keep using pocket is it's if this, then that support, which I'm going to talk about later, but it does if, then, then that support way better than Instapaper does. Um, it, it does the front end and the back end. Whereas, you know, if this this, then that, which is a service we talked about on the web automation show, which will be in the show notes. and it's a service that allows you to pipe the internet together for your, you know, for your use. And with Instapaper, it can receive articles with if this, then that, but with pocket, it can actually filter stuff that you've tagged and it can work on the front end. So if you give something a specific tag, it can do something with that article, which I'm going to explain at the end of the show, we're going to do some of our workflows. Um, the minuses of pocket is the limited typography. It's got, you know, it's got a sans and a sans serif. Um, it's got a serif and a sans font. It doesn't let you choose. I don't think it really looks as nice in the layout as Instapaper does. The management, I think, is better with Pocket using the tags and the um the layout of articles in terms of you know having your list of articles. I think it's a little more convenient. It's got a nice little slider, and it allows for recent sharing, like I was saying earlier. So it's not. I don't think there's a clear winner between these two. And now I've just got to figure out, you know, where I fall in this. And frankly, the business model does concern me because once I invest in, you know, putting my time and the stuff I love into these things, are they going to shut down someday? Or are they suddenly going to start throwing a bunch of ads at me or selling what I'm interested in to somebody to help sell me better ads? That's a, that's of concern.
0: Yeah, I agree it is. And it it's one of my concerns with with readability, which is one of the next apps that that I'm going to talk about. So so it sounds like with Pocket is is one that intrigued me because I was he, you, you actually started me thinking about looking at other services because I was so firmly in the Instapaper camp and then all of a sudden like was a couple of weeks ago you said I've started using Pocket and I was just one of those other shocking moments where I felt bam, David wow. David Sparks is using Pocket maybe I need to start looking what else is out there. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I think I said to you at the time, and I, I think it's still true, you know, that's a little easier to do now that Marco has sold Instapaper.
1: Yeah, I and guess, it, you know, it,
0: and it is. And, and Marco, I think admits, and, and that's another thing that I just mentioned without harping too much back on Instapaper, you know, Marco did sell Instapaper recently to Works, And, and he kind of admits one of the reasons that he did it is, um, you know, he just, he wanted someone who would continue to aggressively develop it and He didn't want to become complacent with it. And I have great respect for his reasons. And he did a very interesting blog post about why he sold it and why he specifically sold it to these people. So I think it's going to be very, and I will admit that I have noticed that Instapaper, although it's still one of the best apps, in my opinion, in this category, has ceased developing at the pace that it previously did. I think, did I explain that well? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Um, and I think, for instance, the if this, then that support is a really good example. Um,
0: and and the because, website certainly has lagged, and there's no Instapaper for Mac app, and you know all of these these other things. We'll talk about some alternatives to those, but and I yeah. think Marco acknowledges that and admits that, and I think this is an interesting area uh, where where Beta Works can can see where they can take it and run. So I I think it's it's going to be an interesting year with these services. Yeah,
1: me too. I I don't think this is a static situation. I think with the new owners of Instapaper, they're going to aggressively be. Yeah, fighting this. That's why I'm kind of hesitating to commit to one or the other, because I suspect that it's going to get even tighter, the race.
0: And I guess that brings an interesting question. Is there any downside of switching back and forth between these services? Is there any lock-in?
1: Well, the, there's a lock-in to the extent you, like right now I've got um, about 100 articles in Instapaper and about 150 articles in Pocket. And wow, you get had some reading to do. What?
0: You've got some reading to do.
1: Yeah, I know. Some of it's reference stuff. And you know, I, I do a lot of reading. So what can I say? I'm hesitant to delete these things because I don't know.
0: Well, I'll I'll go through and I'll go through every month and, and clear out my instapaper paper queue. And if I haven't read it, I'm probably not going to read it. And I, that's why I do most of my archiving in Evernote now.
1: Yeah. The, the more stuff you save to these services, the harder it is to switch to a different one. But I'm a nerd. I'm I'm definitely willing to jump ship uh, from one to the other. If there's a clear winner and I'm not sure that there really is at this point. Yeah.
0: Well, are you ready for me to talk about readability, which is the service,
1: you know, because I've got no experience with readability. I um. Well, I, I, anyway, you start, I'll talk about my experience. I, I had a weird experience with them about that whole paying authors thing a couple of years ago. Yeah. And after that, I just was kind of done.
0: Okay. Well, I'm I'm going to talk a little bit about the controversy, so I'd love for you to to yeah. chime in on that. But um I have tried Readability and I have recommended Readability to a lot of people. I've I tried Readability several years ago. I tried Readability not several years ago, okay. In several years ago in internet terms, which means like 6 months ago. Um and I've tried Readability again recently when we were prepping for this show. And I like Readability. I think of all of the services that I've tried Readability is probably the easiest to understand. It's probably the easiest to implement and probably the easiest to use. And as a result, it's the one that I have probably ended up recommending to more people um, who are not as as tech savvy as you know as I am. So for example, at my Mac user group or at you know just everyday people at the office, when I when I explain this concept of of read it later to them, they think that's cool. And if, if they wanted it and they're maybe kind of struggling with it later, um, readability is usually the app that I'll introduce them to just because I think it's the simplest and easiest of them to use because it's it's dead simple to install. Um, for the Mac, they've got extensions, which I like. It's it's easier to understand and easier to wrap your head around other besides these bookmarklets because I think with – does Pocket have extensions or do they use bookmarklets too? Bookmarklet. Yeah. Instapaper and Pocket both have this bookmarklet. Which is pretty easy now. You just drag and drop it up into your bookmarklet bar. Um, on the iPad and iPhone, it can get a little more complicated if you're trying to install it there. Although I just install it on my Mac and let it sync over and all is well with the world. But um, it's got this extension that you install, and the extension's you know nice. It's pretty. It's got a reader view, a Kindle view, and a, a save view, and it gives you links to do three things that are pretty self-explanatory. You can either take the article that you're looking at now and and move it into reader view. So you can read it immediately. You can send it to your Kindle or you can save it later. And then it has some pretty limited options to customize fonts, customize color. It doesn't have all the typography that something like Instapaper has. It uh, has a pretty neat feature to um, switch links to footnotes and it has the simple, you know, same basic sharing features. And then there's the free iOS apps that is um, a hybrid apps that works both on the iPhone and the iPad. So again, it's nice and simple. There's one app that you download and it works on all the platforms. And then you sign in and, and, and boom, you're done. All of your stuff is there. So I like readability because I think it's clean. I think it's elegant. I think it's simple. It's easy to understand. And for the user, it is completely free. And that's a big draw for a lot of people. So. Yeah, you
1: know, I forgot to mention one of the downsides of Pocket is it does a terrible job with footnotes. I mean, Instapaper does much better with footnotes. Yeah.
0: So you again, you raised that issue. I mean, I don't really know what I can say about readability that we we haven't already discussed. I don't think it has any particularly unique features in terms of of sharing or output or... Or um, automation or controls that are different from anything that we liked. I, I think its one unique feature is its simplicity and the fact that it just works and it's easy to understand and easy to use.
1: Have you uh, checked out its uh, if this then that rule set? Does it have one?
0: It is has it even- some, but they're not as as um, as advanced as pockets. Now readability's got several, and the, and the readability people are even active on if this then that creating rule sets, which is nice so if you if you go over there, you'll see some that appear to have been created by the readability people or people yeah. claiming to be readability people. Um The other thing that I'll mention that's interesting is is readability has done some stuff open source, and i I have read, and I you know take with a grain of salt what you read that the Safari reader button that you can click um is is based on um Arc Ninety which I think is readability's parent company um open source code that they created. So there's a little bit of readability. In, a, in every Mac, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I do believe that that's true. That's a open source text parser.
0: Right. So, yeah. um, but again, it's free. It's completely free, which is a big draw to people. But that also kind of raises the eyebrow of, of how does it make money? And to get to the point that you were getting to earlier, David, there, there was this big controversy a while ago where it. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they were trying to do a good thing and I think dis- they were, you may disagree. And, um, and they had this thing was where, you know, we talked about all the controversies with the service where you're not paying the authors and they're not getting ad views. And maybe you're taking money away from them by using the services. So what readability said is said, okay, well, you can subscribe to our service and we'll collect money from you, you know, consider it a donation. And then 70% of whatever money you pay to us, we will give to authors. Well, that sounds great. But how do you give the money to authors? Well, the authors have to opt into the service. And so readability keeps 30% and the authors opt in and they get 70 and then readability goes through and figures out whose pages were viewed, whose articles uh, were saved. And then they, you know, cut checks to authors, but they don't know who the authors, how to pay the authors unless the authors opt in. And then if the author didn't opt in within a year, then readability kept the money. And so I'll switch it over to you and your experience, because I didn't well, have any direct experience with this.
1: No, I mean, I, I, it was just weird. I, I signed up for it. I thought it was a great idea when they first announced it. and I I gave money. And uh, at the end of it, I think they paid me like 50 bucks and I gave a lot more than that. So because I was giving monthly because I thought, what a great way to support the people whose articles I read and it plugged into Instapaper. So I could use Instapaper and it could still track what I was who I was reading but I I don't know, I just heard so many crazy stories about it. I think they it's, it's something that started out with really good intentions and it just quickly got out of control. It was probably just a misery to try and manage it. And and they they, they acknowledged that and they just kind of dropped that program. So they're they're like Pocket right now. They're, they're they're a company that's trying to build a big user base and at some point they'll figure out how to make money on it. And you know, every time I'm a part of one of those things, having just done a show about Google Reader, I um I'm a little leery about it.
0: Well, readability, I know, does make some money off of licensing of its API. So yeah. if you use the readability or you see readability being used in commercial purposes, and I don't know the terms, but I would suspect that that would mean um, other apps that integrate it that are, that are pay services, they, they have to pay for the licensing of the API. So they do make some money that way.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm just making too much out of this. I mean, how much should we really worry about their their um their monetization plan when picking a service we should pick the service that works the best for us and if eventually they implement a monetization plan that we don't like we can always go to a competitor so
0: as as long as there are competitors that was the whole google reader issue
1: yeah that's true so it's something to be aware of and and i think those are the big three so i guess in summary instapaper i think wins for me on typography and unique features pocket wins on um Automation, management, and if
0: this, that, support. And
1: automation, yeah. And readability sounds like wins on simplicity.
0: Yeah, and ease of, of newbie use, really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hey, let's talk about a sponsor, and that is the Omni Group. And uh, the Omni Group is one of my favorite companies that make software for the Mac. They've everything i've done with the people there just reminds me of apple in terms of this dedication to making the best possible product. Last month i talked about how they have added this great omni sync service and now you've got the ability to sync documents from your you know omni outliner on your ipad to your mac and it just works and it it's just a massive amount of work that went into this. You know, they had the Skunk project going for the last two years, and now they have figured it out, and it's just working. I don't know about you, Katie. I've been using it now f- for a while, and I've had no sync problems. It just works.
0: Omnipresence is awesome. It does just yeah. work.
1: And so I'm really enjoying that. But I wanted to talk more about OmniFocus because it is my favorite app of all apps, I think. If I had to pick one that I had to take to a desert island You're with gracious. me, it would be OmniFocus. Because I, I just love this application. It allows me to manage the many different tasks I'm always juggling. I've got a lot of things I do in my life between the podcast and the day job and the other stuff. And if I didn't have an application like this, it would be very difficult. And one of the things I was just uh, a few weeks ago in Portland for the World Domination Summit, which is not what you think it sounds like. It's
0: the coolest name for a conference, though
1: yeah it is. Um, but anyway, so I, I bumped into a bunch of Mac Power users listeners there, which is kind of awesome. We have a, a lot of world dominators in our listen, in our listenership. And almost everybody was talking to me about Omnifocus because they're all using it. And the one thing that I noticed in talking to these people was almost nobody was using the review button. And I think it's something that that 's very easy to get out of the habit of, and it's one of the things that distinguishes Omnifocus from its competitors, frankly, is they have these really simple review tools that make it very easy and if you're going to spend the money on Omnifocus, use that tool because it's going to make it's just going to make your your work better and the way it works is you tap the review button and it works really good by the way on the ipad that 's the favorite place for me to do reviews, but you can also do it on the Mac version. And it'll show you uh, projects that you have not reviewed in a set period of time. So I've got some projects like um, I've, I've got, you know, someone I deal with and it's a very small deal. I'll review that project every three months because it's not a big deal. I don't need to be looking at it all the time. Then I've got other projects that are very active and I have them set to review every week, or some of them even every couple of days. And I just make it kind of a daily routine at the end of the day at work. Um, when my brain is already kind of cooked and I'm not going to be doing anything real productive, I'll just hit that review button and OmniFocus on my iPad will show me all the projects that are due for review. And, and it's a great way to work because I'll, I'll see a project, for instance, just the other day, I saw a project in there that has been showing up for review now for a couple months. I haven't done anything on it and I accepted, okay, this is uh, this one's not going to make it and I just deleted the project right there and I'm done with that one. Whereas I see another one where something has changed during the last couple of days, I received a phone call or something and I can, you know, rejigger the, uh, the project and make it work better for me. And whenever I finish that review process, it feels I just get this kind of emotional sense of um, satisfaction that I, I'm on top of things. And I know that when I get out of the habit of doing reviews and suddenly they start stacking up and I've really got no idea what's going on on all the projects that I'm not actively looking at, um, I get this sense of nervousness and you know angst that I'm screwing something up. And as soon as I get through a review, when that happens, I just need to take the time to stop and do a review and I feel better. And I think you will too. So if you're an OmniFocus user, start using that review process. And if you're not an OmniFocus user, this is a really great reason to go out and buy it um, it's a great company, make a great product. Um, they've, uh, they've got some really great ideas. In fact, like the iPad and the iPhone versions, even though they don't have a a return process at Apple, OmniFocus gives you one. If, if within 30 days of buying something, even from the app store, you don't like, they'll, they'll give you your money back. So go check it out and, and start doing reviews. Do you, do you do your reviews, Katie Floyd?
0: I do reviews, although probably not as often as I should
1: do it. You'll feel better if you start doing them and you'll be more effective. It's really scary for people when you've got a project that's laid dormant for a while. And then suddenly you fire off two or three emails to get it active again. They're like, wow, man, that guy's got it going on. Okay. How did he know this?
0: Well, our thanks to Omni for their support of Mac power users. And you can find more information at Omni com. So.
1: so Apple uh, decided to get into the Read It Later business.
0: They did, they did, and uh, everybody was, you know, all up in arms. Oh, is is Instapaper going to be Sherlock? And we've we've heard this type of thing before. Every time Apple kind of gets into one of these businesses where another app has has had a foothold. And it doesn't happen that often that that these apps end up going away because Apple usually gets a little toehold in it and then they stop. And that's kind of what happens with, with Apple's foray into the read-it-later business. And Apple has done two things in the read-it-later space. They have implemented a reader view in Safari. And like we said, it's it's based on this these open-source components from the readability folks. Uh, and they've implemented reading lists. And basically, the reader view is you just click a button up in the toolbar of Safari and the page that you were on stays viewable in the background. So I guess that was kind of a nod and a compromise to you, you, the original page is still there. The original content is still there. Maybe the ad views are still being seen and all of that. Um, but then it kind of fades into the background and up pops just a, you know the, the clean, clear uh, readability view. And you are able to do some things with this view. You can print it and you can email it. Um, but that's about it. You can't really send it anywhere or do anything with it. And so that's Reader View in Safari. And then Reading List is um, a newer uh, thing from Apple, and basically it's basically just saving links. So you save these links into this Reading List, and it syncs between your various Macs and your iOS devices using iCloud. And it it really is just saving links to come back to. It's not bookmarks, because I know that's how we all used to do this before these read it later services is we bookmark things to come back to. So it's just kind of a temporary bookmark service where you'd save these links and then you can come back to them later.
1: And they very easily sync through iCloud. So if you've yeah. got the various devices, there's a button right there and you can get to it very quickly. They've got the advantage of being Apple, so they can put a button in the menu bar of safari on the ipad whereas instapaper pocket cannot you'd have to install a bookmarklet. Bookmarklet, right yeah uh they look nice i think they do a good job rendering it um it's not automation friendly it's you know it's an apple product that i think is is designed to get people who've not used any of these services using something like this and an argument could be made that this type of service is kind of the thing that gets people started and then they move to the more professional type solutions like pocket and instapaper and readability um
0: yeah they could really open the door and 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 of course they're they're free they're built in and you don't have to do anything else but but they are limited like you said there's there's no third-party support and if you're not on on your apple device you're you're done you don't have access to them
1: do you use it very often
0: no, almost
1: no me never. either me either
0: yeah. Oh, and the sharing is limited. I mean, you've got the sharing that's built into the OS in terms of sharing to Twitter and sharing to Facebook, but that's it. You can't really. You can you can use like the Evernote web clipper, or you can use you know other add-ons that you've added. You know, the OmniFocus bookmarklet or things to that, but but they don't have any built-in sharing.
1: Yeah, they they are and they are stepping up on this with Mavericks, from what you know we've seen on the public websites that, you know, it's going to be even more pronounced in the uh, the read it later type service they're adding. So I don't think this is going away. Yeah. And I, I know people who this will be a perfect solution for them.
0: So let's let's start about some of the other services that are out there that perhaps aren't true read it later services, but they either integrate with read it later services or people are tending to use them as read it later services. Yeah, And I think the first one on that list for me is Evernote and my beloved Evernote. And Evernote is actually rumored to be starting its own read it later service. It it hasn't come to light yet. I mean, watch it happen between the point in time that we're recording and releasing this podcast. That would just.
1: That's very possible. uh, Are you you okay?
0: I bet that happens.
1: What? Are you okay? Did something just happen? No, nothing just
0: happened. I just bet that happens. I bet that happens and it ruins our show.
1: Well, mm. then everybody can laugh hysterically now and forward like 2 minutes.
0: Yeah, and then and then we can get a gazillion emails. All right. Anyway, but as I mentioned earlier in the show, I use Evernote for more long-time store long-term storage and archive of of reference material. But I I know a lot of people who do use Evernote to, you know, read these stories. So they'll use Evernote as a read it later service and they'll use, they've got the Evernote Clipper that's a extension to Safari. And if they see something that they want to come back to, they'll use the Evernote Clipper, which has the ability to either save the whole page or save just a portion of the page, i.e. the the main content that you want to get to um, and save that to Evernote.
1: Yeah, that's one of the primary ways I use Evernote. Uh, You know, I don't use it as aggressively as a lot of people, but I do store... Reference materials in there for articles, books, and podcasts that I want to use, and sometimes legal briefs. So it's a really nice place to kind of collect that stuff. It's very easy to create a notebook, and the organization is nice. And because all these apps plug right into it, you can send an article that way very easily.
0: Yeah. And then Evernote, of course, has the sync services because it's all in the cloud. You can access it from the web. You can access it from your phone. You can access it from your iPad. We did a whole show on Evernote. And then we had Brett Kelly come and talk about Evernote for a while. So uh, we've, we've covered Evernote pretty extensively on, on this uh, podcast. So I won't go into too much detail about how it works. But a lot of people are using Evernote either as an alternative to some of these read-it-later services or in conjunction with these read-it-later services. So, yeah. It's an interesting use.
1: And then there's another service out there called Pinboard. And that one, I think, is hard for people to wrap their heads around. It's hard for me to
0: wrap my head around. I did sign up recently um, for Pinboard, and I'll tell you how I'm using it, but I'm using it very, very limitedly.
1: Okay. Well, why don't you start?
0: Okay. I just recently signed up for Pinboard, and I'm basically using it as an archive for my Read It Later services, because you can set up Pinboard to archive anything that you've sent to Instapaper or saved to Instapaper. And because I don't use Instapaper as an archive, I read it and get rid of it, or I send it off to Evernote. I, basically, Pinboard is just kind of my my backup. So yeah, got- and
1: that, that's one of the best uses for it. And they do something that's even better. Now, now, it's an interesting business model. Here, you pay for it. And I think it's a function of how many users there are. When I got in, I think it was like $7, and I looked last night preparing for the show. Now it's $10 to buy a, an account. But in addition, you can pay $25 a year and they will cash every web article you send to it. So even if the publisher shuts the website down or whatever, you've got a permanent archive of everything you ever thought was inter- interesting on the Internet for 25 bucks a year. I think that's a really great service.
0: Yeah. It, it, the, this, the key is you've got to be able to retrieve that information. And I know they've got search features, and you can be able to go. Back no, and it's get... not
1: that they're caching; they're holding. If I say I want this article at KatieFloyd.me, right? It's dot yeah, .me. Yeah, right? yeah. Let's say Katie does a really great, you know, presentation on KatieFloyd.me, which you have been doing lately, by the way. I really like with the stuff you're doing on your website. Thank you. Uh, Um, So I I go ahead and add that to pinboard and I'm paying my 25 bucks a month. They will download a copy of that article and save it on their server. And so if Katie shuts the website down tomorrow, I can still go back and access all of that through pinboard. That's what you get for your 25 bucks a year. I think that's that to me is the best. That's the that's the number one reason to get a pinboard account. And you can set it up with pocket and Instapaper and probably readability where it automatically scrapes anything you send there. So if I send an article to Pocket or Instapaper, it automatically goes into my pinboard, and pinboard automatically pulls down the website and saves it for me. Yeah. What a great idea. And
0: even if you don't pay the $25 archive, if you pay the one-time setup fee, it will still save links to those articles, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so the difference is if you go and the site's down, then you're not going to get it. But it does have the link to it. Um, so if you, if you're doing something where you want to have long-term access to the stuff, uh, pay for pay the twenty-five bucks. I think it's it's a, a pretty good reason. I think it's a reasonable deal. Okay. Um,
0: well, the other thing about about Pinboard is 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 it also can be social bookmarking, but they also call it social bookmarking for for introverts. So you can have tags, and then you can kind of have these categories that you follow on Pinboard too.
1: Yeah. Which is really nice because Pinboard supports if this, then that. And there's some whole automation stuff you can do with that. But for instance, if you just want to follow the Pinboard OmniFocus site, you can do that. And pe- things people mark towards it automatically get it get in there. So, you know, your fellow geeks are preparing, uh, I guess, moderated content for you. I guess I, I wouldn't say moderated, but but selected content for you. Well, and it's, you it's really only a, it, it's Pinboard. a
0: self-selected group of people who are using Pinboard. And, yeah. and they've gone ahead and marked this as something interesting in, in this particular realm. So if you want to follow the topic of OmniFocus or if you want to follow something like Dropbox or if you, you know, I think it's more interesting for very focused topics. I wouldn't follow a topic like Apple on Pinboard. I mean, that's, no. that's going to be far too broad. But if you want to follow select topics, you, you can find some interesting content on, on Pinboard that's really hand curated by other people like you who are, who are interested in these topics.
1: Yeah, this is a a project run by a small developer. It's not a big company. Um, it's very fast. It's reliable. I, I've been using it for I don't know, a, two or three years now, and I think it's something to have in addition. It doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be an alternative to these read a later service. I think I look at it kind of like as a as a back background pickup. It picks up all the stuff that I've searched and like you as I mark things deleted or read or get rid of them from Instapaper or Pocket, I still know that I've got access to them through Pinboard. And you can go on Pinboard and search everything, which is really nice.
0: Yeah. And I do like that you you pay for it because you know that it's got a business model and it's going to stick around. And our friend uh, Gabe Weatherhead over at MacDrifter um, writes quite frequently about Pinboard as well.
1: Yeah. I've, there's one article I liked in particular. I've, I've linked it in the show notes. So go check that out. And also Brett Terpstra they can, one of the, the digs against pinboard is it's not very pretty. And Brett has built up a CSS that you can put on top of pinboard to make it pretty, if that's a big deal.
0: <laughs> that's hysterical.
1: I mean, I I think um, I don't use it as much as some people I know, but I really like having it there as kind of the, like I said, it's the big bucket of information that's important to me. Yeah, And I do go there and search things out once in a while
0: so those are those are kind of the other services. Are there any others we need to cover
1: well we we put delicious in the show notes.
0: We did put it in the show notes
1: i am not sure how it fits there though i I never really became a big delicious user
0: i and then it, I used it years and years ago, and i don't couldn't really tell you what I used it for and then that was kind of the end of it.
1: They're kind of on a they're trying to reinvent themselves now, and maybe they become something relevant to this, but not yet,
0: yeah. I, I I don't think they're worth discussing for this topic, but I guess you can be aware that they're out there.
1: Yeah. Okay. So,
0: all right. Well, I do want to, um, talk about how kind of all these other apps can, can integrate together and how you can do fun things with them. But before we do there, I want to take a quick moment and talk about, uh, one of our other sponsors for the show and that is Daisy disc. And, you know we we've talked about and <laughs> i have this problem recently you know david we uh, our listeners may not know this we might have mentioned it but we're pre-recording a big clump of shows here because i'm we're both getting ready to go on back-to-back vacations and i've i've got all of these aiff files on my hard drive and i've got multiple shows and multiple versions of the shows and multiple streams of audio and then all of a sudden i look down and i've got i've got like 20 gigs of of hard drive space free and that's a problem because I've only got a 256 gig SSD, and at the same time, I'm trying to pull some movies off of my TiVo that I can, or uh, TV shows off of my TiVo that I can take on the on the airplane with me and pull those on my iPad. And I'm just, I'm running out of all of this space, and I, I'm not real sure where it's going. And uh, so there's there's an app for that, and that app is Daisy Disk. Daisy Disk to the rescue. So what Daisy Disk does is it's a one click. It will analyze your hard drive and it will tell you exactly where this app uh, where all of this data is being used and it will um give you this very unique graphical Representation in these concentric circles showing you: this is your home folder, this is your user folder, this is this is where your data is being used. You've got a big pocket here in in the podcast folder. You've got a big pocket here in your movies folder. You've got this one random file over here in your documents folder. Did you maybe forget about this? What's going on with that? And it's very easy to add a glance. Go whoa! I've got a I've got a big color over here. I've got a big blob of color over here. A big blob of color over here. And then you can you know with your mouse go in and and see and investigate and dig deeper and probe to see where where all of this stuff is going and then t- my favorite thing is you can radiate it nuke it
1: just yeah phew, get rid of it yeah that's that's the perfect uh, icon for that button um, just drop drop it over there and nuke it
0: and then it's gone and then all of a sudden you have your hard drive space back so now i'm running back with a nice comfortable 100 plus gigs free on my on my macbook air and feeling quite comfortable about it and uh all thanks to daisy disk which means i'm uh, I've got my hard drive all nice and, and tidy. So uh, it's important to manage your hard drive space, especially when you're on these SSDs. And there's certainly no better app to do it than DaisyDisk. Uh, you can find them in the Mac App Store. Um, and that's probably the best way to grab it. And uh, go check them out over at daisydiskapp.com.
1: Let's talk about integrating all these services, because now that we've kind of got a good idea how they work, I want to talk about you know going deeper and using them in ways to uh, to simplify your life and automate some of the stuff, Um, starting with the RSS readers. Okay. All right. So, um, so the way you and I use it is is uh, filter through RSS. So you've got whatever RSS reader you're using, and we just did a show on that. And you want to get an application. In fact, I complained during the RSS show that one of my problems with one of the services, I think it was. Which one? Feed burner was that I had to tap the like five taps to get to save it to, to pocket or instapaper, which was not acceptable to me because I do that so often. Whereas I think you feed, mean feed bin. Feed bin. Yeah. No, I think it was it. Yeah. Feed it's bin, not feed right. burner. It's feed bin. Yeah, that's right. So then, whereas, uh, Whereas uh, Feed Wrangler, it had just a button there. I tapped it and it was saved to my read it later service, which made me very happy. So we we talked about that. Another way to integrate this is with your Twitter clients. And you mentioned that earlier, but specifically, how do you go about doing it?
0: Well, really, that's usually just a setting in your preferences of your Twitter clients. It says, do you use a read it later service? If so, which one? Here are your credentials. And then, when you click on a link or you right click on a link, it says, Send this. What do you want to do with this? Do you want to open it in a browser? Do you want to send it to Readability or Instapaper or whichever one of these Read It Later services you do? And boom, you're done and it's there.
1: Yeah. So you don't it, even see the web page. Yeah. It gets sent. Uh, email. I, so people send me stuff in email all the time. Usually, what I do is I'll open up the article from my email client. And if it looks like something I want to read later, I'll just hit the, the bookmarklet.
0: Yeah, or you can. um, Most of these services will give you a dedicated email address. Sometimes people will email you entire articles
1: that you yeah, can email you can stuff forward to. it. Yeah. You can forward it to the email address. I'm a little nervous about doing that usually because I want to see what it is before I add it to my beloved queue.
0: Because you you are so selective about what you add to your queue.
1: Yeah, with 150 articles. <laughs> uh, well, one of the things I like about Pocket is when you save it to Pocket from the browser it gives you a little box that lets you add a tag at the moment. And, and that kind of goes into, let me talk a little bit about how I use pocket. Yeah. Um, with this. I, well, you know, we're get, we actually got that later in the outline, don't I? Okay. Well, but the point is I, I can add the, I can add the tag at the moment that I create it, which is nice. And I can add multiple tags. So like I said, I don't have a big list, but like MPU is one and, and field guide is another. and, and there's a couple more I use. Um, how about the reader companion apps for the Mac? Let's talk about those a little bit.
0: Yeah. That was one of the things that you really liked about pocket is that it had a, an app for the Mac. So yeah. I, I'll, this is kind of one of my workflows is I'll add things. And my favorite way to read this stuff is on the iPad. And that's what I'll do is I'll my, you know, typically what I'll do is I'll get my cup of coffee and on Sunday mornings, I'll sit down with my iPad and I'll go through all the links that I collected through the week on my Mac. But depending on how much stuff I've got there or my time, sometimes what I'll do is I'll sit down um, at my Mac at lunch, usually at work on my desk, and I'll kind of go through my Instapaper queue. And I really don't like doing that through the web app. You can, but it's the, the web needs some work, and, and Marco has acknowledged that, and hopefully that's an area that, that Betaworks will continue to work on. So there are a couple of applications for the Mac that will plug into your read-it-later services. Um Words, which is available in the Mac App Store, is one that we'll do with InstaPaper, and I think they may integrate into a few other services. But ReadKit is one that I've been using recently both to view RSS through um Feed Wrangler on the Mac, and it also integrates um with Read It Later services. So that's been the one I've been using recently, because it's kind of the best of both word worlds, is that I can get both my RSS and then when I've I've cleared out my RSS queue, I can go in and start reading my Read It Later queue.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've really been turning it on lately at ReadKit. Yeah.
0: There's also another unique app that I, I just realized I forgot to put in the outline, but I want to make sure that we talk about. Um, and it's Clayton Morris' app, and that's the uh, ReadQuick app. And I use that quite a bit. And it's, it's interesting to think about the idea of using an iPad app to read your Instapaper queue when your Instapaper is an iPad app that was designed for you to read your Instapaper queue.
1: Yeah, but I mean, this does something different. It's a speed reading app, and it you know flashes the words on the screen. I, I use it too. I I think it's really great, and it does integrate with both Instapaper and Pocket. I'm sure it does some other services too, but those are the only two I've ever I've ever played with it on.
0: Yeah, and right. that's and, and we talked a little bit about in Clayton's episode what it does, but it, it's exactly what it does. It's a speed reading app, and all it does is it flashes one word at a time very quickly up on the site. And I find that I can turbo through some stuff. There's some stuff that I just like kind of, I hate to say lackadaisical, but but casually reading, and, and I like that. But for stuff that I just want to turbo through, that's how I'll do it.
1: Yeah, it's there is a certain, you know, sometimes it's fun to read at your leisure. And there are certain articles that just lend themselves to that, And I get that. But uh, I do use Clayton's app quite a bit. Um, Going back to ReadKit on the Mac, I just wanted to kind of explain a little bit further. So you can put in there your Pocket or Instapaper credentials and it will download those. But it will also download all your RSS feeds. And one of the things I didn't realize until I actually had a conversation with somebody on Twitter was you can move articles between them in the application. It's not immediately obvious, but I know they're working on it. Uh, but you, you literally drag an article. So if you've got um, a floyd.me article in your Feed Wrangler, you can drag it over to your Instapaper or your Pocket tab in the same application, and it automatically gets added to your list there. Yeah. That's a, that's that's a really clever way to do it. I It feels a little buggy to me. still. like, there's one of my Feed Wrangler, um, uh, what are they called? Smart folders or smart groups I, I forget the exact smart feeds of, smart feeds that it it always wants to download it always thinks i have 742 unread articles in there and it won't believe me when i tell it that i have actually read them all so it just keeps piling on and i i think i just need to reset it but uh it looks to me like there's a lot of updates and these guys realize there's a market opportunity now with all the changes that have happened and this this app is quickly going to become a go-to solution for a lot of people
0: yeah, and and I should mention, ReadKit supports all of the three reader later services: Instapaper, Pocket, Readability, Pinboard, uh, Delicious, and then it does um oh gosh Feedly, NewsBlur, um, FeedBin, NewsWrangler, or FeedWrangler. It does it, it does most of them.
1: Yeah, and they're adding like daily. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I think like... it's
0: it's the reason that I switched to it, and I like it. I mean, I still miss my beloved Reader, but I I like ReadKit and um it just was one of the first mac apps that will will do this and i think it's double bonus that it will do the read later services too
1: yeah the the fact that it does everything um, is why it's replaced reader as my well also the fact that reader do, on for the mac doesn't support the rss service i use but i don't think when it does start supporting it i'll start using it again because i think readkit does a better job with multiple services
0: yeah um, there 's also a new service that i 've been playing with that 's that 's kind of fun, and um that is sending these articles to audio because i 'm a big podcast listener, and i sometimes i just can 't get through my insta queue and maybe this is a way to help you get you through your insta queue and sometimes listening to it is the way to do it and I know you read on max Sparky about um this service i was it a service or a script that you put together to, it was
1: it was a service yeah a service to,
0: to take text and and basically turn it into an audio file. And um, I don't know if you pronounce this redometer or redo mater I like redometer. I think it's redomater.
1: Me too. I, I like redomater. So
0: we're going to go with that. And it's a fairly inexpensive four or five dollar app that's available in the Mac App Store that will pull from your queue, and it will use the uh, the built in voices. And we've talked about I think we like Tessa and Serena and all of the the newer voices that you can get in OS X. And it will create podcasts out of those. And it does it in an interesting way. And there's potential for you to geek out on this, although the developer says I'm not going to support this. But when you've got Readomator running in the background, it it creates kind of its own little web service. And then you can subscribe to that as a podcast. So it your iTunes sees it as as broadcasting a, a podcast, although it's really not. It's just a little web service running on your Mac. I'm still trying to figure out how to get it to run on my Mac Mini, so it doesn't have to run on my my iMac or my MacBook Air all the time. And I'm, yeah. I'm working on that. I, I know it's possible. I just I need to dig a little bit deeper in it. And it it takes a little bit getting used to. You, I think you've got to pick the right voice, and it even has an option where you can alternate between the voices if you don't want to hear the same voice read the same thing over and over again. You can switch between voices automatically, but it 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 works. It will download all of your stuff and uh, and as podcasts, it will convert it and download it, and it's boom, one click.
1: I think that's something where you've got to think about the article that you're putting in. Like, you
0: definitely do. You definitely do. It,
1: you know, if if you've got an article that that I wrote on, you know, using an Apple script to pull some service off, that's not going to lend itself to audio very well. But like if you got something from Vanity Fair, you may just be it just may be perfect.
0: I don't have anything from Vanity Fair.
1: OK, you sound very convinced of that. Are you sure? Positive. Well, you don't keep anything, so why would you, right? You said you've got (laughs) no articles. (laughs) Uh, Kindle's another way to go with this stuff. Um, But, you know, you can send stuff to Kindle. And, you know, it's been a while since I've used a Kindle. So I don't know where this stands now in terms of the fees. Do you?
0: The fees are in flux and they change, but you just need to be aware that you could get charged fees. And it depends on do you have a 3G version? Do you have a Wi-Fi version? Do you send it to the free email address? Do you send it to the pay one? Are you within your limit? Are you within your range? I'm not going to advise people what the fees are. You just need to be aware that there could be fees if you don't do it right.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, I want to go through the power tips though. I I want to. I I'm just like I'm fidgety you, here. you are. You've been trying to get. I to can't this wait to very, talk about this. If we this and that, that stuff, as, I'm doing as
0: point one in our outline, but then the show wouldn't have made much sense.
1: Yeah, but yeah, let's do that. But first, let's talk about our last sponsor, and that's Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. And I love it. I've had Max Sparky on it for years and you're on it as well. And it's just it solved a problem that I had because I as much as I'm a geek, I'm not a big web geek and I've never spent the time to figure out CSS. I know that that remotely has something to do with the web and there's PHP and I don't even know how all this stuff fits together. And when I talk to nerds, they talk to me like I know about it and I just pretend I do. And in fact, I don't. But I have Squarespace, so I don't need this stuff. It makes it very easy for me to build a website. And uh, the Max Barkey uh, site is one of them. Um, you can take one of their templates and you can start customizing it. And before long, it looks truly unique and it doesn't have, you know, a Squarespace label on it. It just looks like a great website and it has the responsive design that I love. So when people open my website on their iPad or their iPhone, or their something else, maybe their iWatch in the future, huh? Um, it's going to look great because these guys have thought about all those problems and they've built the site in a way that makes it work. It expands. I've got, An account where I can add additional users if I want. I've got unlimited, I I believe what they call unlimited bandwidth. I've never ran into a problem with bandwidth, even when I got linked by people who are much more popular than I and sent a lot of readers to me. Um, It's just a great service. Everything is drag and drop. You can drag elements onto the page. They've got excellent uh, support. Whenever I have a problem, I send them an email, and usually very quickly I have an answer back. Um, It's design focused and. I don't know what I would do without it. I guess that's what I would say. And now you can get a good deal. So if you go in and you sign up for Squarespace for a year and just pay in advance, you get 20% off. But if you add the the code MPU8 to it, that's Mac Power Users 8 for yeah, the month and of August. Yeah,
0: people figured that out that the 8th is for the month.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh you get an additional ten percent. So you get thirty percent off at this thing. You know, it starts at ten dollars or twenty dollars a month for the basic service. So let's say you go in and you buy a year with the the premium program, that's twenty dollars, but you get twenty percent off because you're you're buying a year, so that gets you down to sixteen.
0: And then you month. get an additional discount just for being a Mac Power user listener. That's pretty awesome. Exactly.
1: You just like you double down, it's great. Yeah. Isn't that that that's um that's a Tim Cook word? Double down. Double he down. uses that every time he talks. He uses that word. So, uh, double down on your Squarespace discount and set it up. We've had so many listeners write in talking to us about how they went over to Squarespace because they're like me and they don't want to figure all this stuff out, and they start sending us our websites that look pretty cool. We got one from Ben Light Lighting, which is one of our listeners. Who uh, Ben has got? He does a lighting service. He does really cool stuff. He does um. He, he, he
0: designs lighting for, for major events like theater and opera and conferences and museums and art gallery. It's pretty awesome to see the things that you can do with just light.
1: Yeah. And so on his website, it's at benlight.net. Um, he's got a picture in the background of it looks like a stadium lighting job he did, which is very cool. But then he's got this great gallery in there that shows you all the other stuff he did. And I, I want him to come to my house, but I don't think I could afford him.
0: Well, you've got those fancy hue bulbs, so maybe I can give you some points.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know how it could get any better than the Hue bulbs, honestly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I love his gallery. And I, I know that that's a Squarespace thing where, you know, it's just it's it's so drag and drop easy to do a gallery and it's so professionally done. So,
1: yeah. So they, if you look at his website, though, it doesn't scream Squarespace. You don't know. I mean, the typography, everything is has been customized. And that's what I love about it. Uh, if you're a Squarespace user, send in your site to us because we're always looking at user sites and we like to feature some of our listeners once in a while. So go check out benlight.net. Uh, also go check out Squarespace if you're looking for a way to set up a website. Um, I think the Sparks family, we have something like four or five different Squarespace sites.
0: There you go. Yeah. And thanks to Squarespace for your continued support of Mac Power users. All right, David, we finally got to the portion. Ooh, sorry, I just knocked my mic there. We finally got to the portion of the show that you've been waiting for.
1: You're excited too. I you am just excited. Mic. I, just,
0: I just knocked my mic. I was so happy. I was jumping up and down. Um, and that is... Uh, Power user tips and workflows.
1: Okay, so the first one I want to talk about is if this, then that, because this is a great thing that lends itself to this type of automation. And we did the web automation show, but I didn't talk about this workflow. So if this, then that. Have you been saving
0: this since the web automation show because you like slapped your forehead that you forgot to talk about this?
1: No, it's really developed since then because I've just kind of recently started playing with Pocket. And, you know, one of the things I do whenever I start using a new web service is I check out if they have a channel on if this, then that. And um, for those of you that didn't listen to the prior show, if this, then that is just what it sounds like. If something happens at this web service, then do something else at that other web service. So, for instance, I can say if it gets dark where I live in my zip code, turn on the light. So that's that's a web service looking at the um, the sunset time where I live. Then turn on the light on my Hue light bulbs, which are connected to the Internet. So that's another, in essence, web service. So that's just an example of things you can do with this. But there's all these different services involved. So there's some really amazing possibilities. Like I could say, if Katie Floyd tweets me, turn, flash the lights, you know.
0: Definitely that, do that.
1: Yeah, I actually have that rule installed already, Katie. So you're fine. Perfect. Um, but the... Uh, But also I wanted to look at it in terms of these read it later services and Instapaper always kind of supported this as a recipient. So I could say if, if I send, you know, if I mark an article in this web service with a star, like, or if I, you know, put a star on a Gmail email or whatever, then send that text over to Instapaper. So it's a recipient, but it was never something that I could say, if I do something in Instapaper, then do something else with the article. And that's what I really wanted. And that's what Pocket does. So, and Pocket does it both in terms of when you add a new article. I think they've got four different grounds to start the ball rolling in if this, then that. If you add something new, um, if you mark it as a favorite, because Pocket does have a star where you can mark it as a favorite, or if you have a specific tag. And that's the one that I've been going nuts with. So, like, I've got one, I've got a tag for Pocket called Post, P O S T. And if I see an article that I want to link in a post or write a post about something in that article that I find interesting, I just give it the tag post. And then if this and that is watching that in my um, pocket database and it says, hey, he just marked this article Katie wrote with the word post. And then it will forward that article through email to the OmniFocus um What's you know, the omnifocus service, the mail drop service. Yeah. Mail drop service. Yeah. So it'll create an omnifocus task of that article. And it actually lets me say what the the task is, is um it actually lets me change the name of it. So I will say write a post about and then include the name of the web article. So then in my inbox in omnifocus, I get something that says write a post about, you know, Katie Floyd's article about using something. And it just shows up in my omnifocus inbox. I don't do any extra steps. Now, that? okay. Go. so granted, you could do that already in these services by there. There is a service to save directly to OmniFocus. Yeah. But this just happens. And like if I'm on the on the web and I type in that tag from the web.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. So You don't even have to go in it. the pocket. I gotcha. I gotcha. It's
1: done. It's done. And then I've got some that save articles to Evernote like. I've got one called MPU, a a folder that I haven't shared with you yet. I guess I should called MPU. And so if I type in MPU and I see an article about something that we're planning on doing a show about, I just type MPU when I save the um, pocket and it automatically puts it in my Evernote database. So start thinking about that, you know, having the front end instead of the back end on these if this, then that services. And you can do some pretty cool stuff. In fact, if you're listening and you come up with something better than my idea, let me know, because I'm always looking to improve this stuff. But there's so much glue with the if this then that service. There's so many ways to go between services. I like to talk about lights because it's in the physical world and it's kind of fun. But, you know, I could say if I get an article about the movie War Games, turn all the lights in my house red. Just think about that. Better yet, turn all the lights in Katie's house red. No. Have you watched war games yet? <laughs> you still haven't watched it.
0: You think We've, I haven't watched it. That's We that's talked cute. about it on
1: Twitter and we're all sure that you haven't watched it. That's cute. All right. Okay. So, so that that's a really cool trick and you can't, you can only do it in pocket as far as I know.
0: But there's some other things that you can do with if this, then that with all of the read it later services. For example, you can sync these read it later services together. So, with if this, then that rules, you can sync readability, pocket, and Instapaper. And so I talked about, well, you know, is there any cost of leaving one or moving to one? Well, you can – technically, you can use all three. You can have services that if I add something to my pocket queue or if I add something to my Instapaper queue, or if I add something to my readability queue, then send it to my Instapaper queue or send it to my pocket queue or do back and forth. So
1: Yeah, that in fact, that's one of the ideas I've been playing with because I like the typography and Instapaper better is saying – uh. If I put something in pocket and I give it the tag long form, it sends it to Instapaper and Instapaper can receive it through if this and that. So I could have Instapaper be a separate app that I just have really long form stuff I want to sit and read. You could do that. I'm not sure I want to have two of these services, though, but that's possible.
0: Yeah. Um, the other thing you can do that some people do is I don't want to use Instapaper as my RSS feed, but you can send RSS feed directly to these services. So if there's a, let's say, a low bandwidth RSS feed that you always want to read, you can send it to these read-it-later services. Or if there's a particular author that you always want to read, or, you know, I wouldn't do it with any of these firehose services, but you can certainly send RSS feeds directly to these read-it-later services. That's you know, another I, I could, that thing.
1: Like I was thinking, you know who would be perfect for that is Michael Me. Lopp, Rans and Repos. Yeah, he would he, be. He, po- he posts like once every two or three weeks. And, and you it's want longer to read, form. You want to read everything he writes. Yeah. At least I do.
0: You can also, same thing, like you mentioned, you can save things that you favored or things that you like to Evernote. So those are, yeah. you can do that for for easy archiving. So if this and that, there's a, there's a lot of potential with if this than that in, in automating these read it later services.
1: We had a, a reader write in, or I'm sorry, a listener write in, Paul. And he's trying to skip RSS, and he's using if this then that and pinboard. So what he's doing is he's looking at you know I was talking about earlier how there's certain pinboard feeds like he, the one he listed in his in his email was OmniFocus, but you know you could get it on whatever news is interesting to you. And that is in essence a curated list of links from people. And so he has if this then then modern monitor the pinboard. Uh, feed for whatever subject he's interested in, and then automatically send it to Instapaper.
0: Yeah. And so now instead of going through an RSS feed that he may or may not read or may or may not be interested in 90 plus percent of the articles in there, now he's got more of a curated feed and it's an Instapaper.
1: Yeah. It's clever.
0: That's very clever. clever. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I'll do quite frequently is I will use reader mode with uh, Instapaper. And Instapaper, you can send something to Instapaper. Or they also have just a text uh, parser bookmarklet that you can use to to just get the text. And most websites, sometimes I need to print out things, and this happens a lot when I need to print out reference material and I want to bind them and put them in a notebook. This actually happens sometimes, not often, but when it does, if I'm printing from the web, I'll either um, use reader mode in Instapaper just to get the text, and then I will save that either into PDF or to Evernote, or sometimes just print it out so I can skip all the other gunk that's that's on the sites. Some sites will give you like a click here to print and it will give you a nice clean print view. Some sites don't.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that the if this then that service is, is, it just blows my mind every time I look at it. And maybe it's just because I'm easily impressed. But the idea that I can take non-connected internet services and connect them, I want more of that. The more of that, the better. So this is a really good service to check out and, and do look at that in terms of services you're going to pick in the future for yourself, because the, the more options you have, you know, the more automation you can do and the more time you can have to go do things you love. So I think that pretty much wraps it up for read it later, Katie.
0: It does. I think it's a well-covered topic.
1: Yeah, I, I am still confused. I don't know which service I'm going to stick with. Uh, I'm very curious to see what the new owners of Instapaper do.
0: I agree. And, I think I and, think this is a moving target.
1: And uh, for the meantime, I'm not getting rid of Pocket because that if this then that rule that I was just talking about that really that is really useful to me, and I'm only adding more of them as I start using it more. So. Like I have one now for MPU-150. So when I see something I want to add to the uh, the notebook for our, our shared Evernote notebook, MPU-150 gets the tag and it goes in. You can even set it that um, Evernote will apply your pocket tags as it imports it. That's clever. Or you can add custom tags if you want. Very smart. Very smart. Okay. So everybody go check out these Read It Later services. If you haven't used them before, now's the time to get on board. Let us know what you think and let us know uh, where you think you could improve upon the stuff we talked about. And we'll include you in the feedback. Uh, so, Katie, where do you find us?
0: Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode over at our website at MacPowerUsers.com or on the 5 by 5 site at 5 dot tv slash MPU slash 149 for this episode. Big 150 is next.
1: Yeah. Can you believe we got to show 150? I know. I thought nobody would be interested when we started this podcast, but I wanted to do it anyway.
0: <laughs> Maybe I was doing do it for my mom. <laughs> yeah,
1: although she wasn't much of a geek. So, anyway, uh, you can find us on Twitter at MacPowerUsers. Uh yeah. Katie's Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at MacSparky. Yeah.
0: You can um, also find all of those on App.net if if you're of the App.net persuasion as well. Yes. And then you can email us to at you can email us at feedback. At com, And that will go to both David and I And we'll be seeing your mail We may or may not reply We try to reply to most things But you know You know how it goes
1: It's tough It's tough So Next thanks to our 150 Yeah Let's, 150. let's do it we gotta get it Oh done. you were gonna say thanks to the sponsor We should do that
0: I was gonna say thanks to the sponsors Our sponsors for this episode Squarespace Daisy Disc The Omni Group And One Password Without them we would not be able to do the show for you And so our thanks to them, and we will see you next time.